So continuing on in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you, you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Y'all letting your soul shine? Evidently, it's better than moonshine, which I've never had. But if I have, I'm sure that it's better than it. You got that? Well, uh, today we want to continue in our uh, message series that we've been walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in the church of Philippi as found in the New Testament of the Bible, and it is aptly named Philippians, as it is to those people, the Philippians. And we're calling our series Choose Joy because over and over and over again in this letter, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is asking the people of that church to do, which is to choose joy. And this letter kind of lays out God's plan on how we can do that. And so I want to look at the text that uh, I read just a a few minutes ago, from Philippians chapter 2. And um, I want to go back and look at verses 12 and 13 for a minute, where Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is giving you the power and the desire to live as he wants you to live. Now, I don't know about you, but the thing that pops out of that little text for me is that line where he says, and with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Doesn't that seem like a little off to you? Like from just from what you know about the Christian faith and from what you've read in the Bible, doesn't that feel a little like not what you know about the Christian faith to be? I mean, I thought that we were saved through faith, by the grace of God, period. I thought that there was nothing that we had to do other than put our faith in Jesus Christ to accept His free gift of grace, to accept His forgiveness. I thought it was only through His unconditional love and forgiveness that saves us. So what's this about? Like, that I'm supposed to, for the rest of my life, continually like be afraid about being saved and that I have to work that through for the rest of my life? Is this some kind of uh, threat that Paul is making that we better straighten up or God's going to zap us? Or what is this? No, I I think 
This is where we can sometimes get into trouble, where we pluck a verse out of the Bible, out of context, and we isolate it and try to make it stand alone when it's not written as a standalone verse. And the first rule of interpreting what the Bible is trying to say is that in any given verse in the Bible, that we always interpret that in the context of the rest of Scripture around it in that book, in the rest of the Testament, in the Bible itself, and to make sure that it gels with everything else so that we fully understand it. And in this case, Paul does that. He begins in this section in verse 12 by using a very important word, therefore. Right? Which shows that this segment of Scripture is directly connected to everything else that he's just talked about in all of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, which we've been dealing with for the last few weeks in this series. And so this verse actually relates all the way back to chapter 1, verse 6, when Paul is setting forth the thesis statement for the letter when he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, or until you leave this world. And the work that he's referring to is, this is a word that we talked about in week one, which is that word sanctification, which is a word that's used to describe the process through which God is working in you and helping you to become more like Jesus. And then Paul went on in, verse, in uh, the par- first part of chapter 2 that Greg talked about last week, and he paints a picture for what that looks like, right? You remember that? How it laid that out um, on how we can become more like Jesus, what that looks like, which is to take on his attitude of humility and his spirit of servanthood. And so now that you understand what that looks like and what the goal of your life should be, Paul says, then, therefore. Therefore, he says, now that God has started this salvation process in you, you now need to do your part. You don't just sit back and God does his thing, right? We are partners in this whole life change thing. And so we have to do our part in becoming more like Jesus. And Paul's saying, take that seriously. Take that with a sense of reverence. Become obsessed with this, that you want to make the changes in your life so that you can become more like that. And, by the way, he says, the only reason why you can pull it off is because of God is working in your life. And so with God's help, you can become a different person. So I hope you can begin to see that as we kind of take this Uh, book, section by section, each section builds on the other, and it's almost like we're putting together the pieces of a puzzle so that we can then begin to understand what the picture that Paul is painting really looks like. And so now, when we read that he says that we're to work it out with fear and trembling, now we know what he's talking about. He's not talking about the kind of fear that's a bad thing where we go through our life scared of hell or something. It's more like being awestruck by the power of God that is working in us that 
freaks us out a little bit because it takes us out of our comfort zone and straight into this new life, this new adventure that can only come from God himself. It's a healthy fear that awakens us from our slumber of our everyday lives as we get up every morning and do the daily grind And it inspires us, it causes us to look at life differently and inspires us and energizes us and gives us the courage that we need to live differently. When we have the power of God working in us, it changes who we are. We now have desires that we never had before. We like all of a sudden, we want to give back. We want to serve other people. We want to make a difference. We want to have that same attitude as Jesus Christ as we begin to follow him wholeheartedly. So what I hope we're seeing is that the bigger picture of what Paul is trying to communicate in Philippians is now beginning to emerge and we're getting a clearer understanding of what he's trying to say, which is this. That we are to move out of our old life our past, where we were at once lost, living in the dark. And now we move into the light. We step into this new life in God. But as we enter this new life, we all of a sudden understand that that's when the real work begins. Because all of a sudden we understand just how much change is required for us to become more like Jesus just how far our life is off from what God wants us to live. And that's when the real work begins. Look, I I think that we have all been through a lot of stuff in our lives. I don't think there's anybody in this room that hasn't been through stuff. We all have a past that haunts us, a past that we're not proud of, There's things that we've done. There's things that have been done to us. And it could be something as traumatic as going through a divorce or having been abused or dealing with the death of somebody that we love that's so close to us. Or it could be something completely different, like our kids acting out or not turning out the way that we imagined or going through some financial crisis. And I think as we look back on where we've been, I think we're faced with this question, are we going to stay stuck back there? Are we going to stay stuck in our past of all this stuff? Or will we move on? Will we get past it? Another way to put it is to say, are you going to stay bitter? Or do you want to get better? So how do we move past all of that bad stuff and get better and find the joy that we're all looking for? That thing that Paul is talking about that maybe some of us have never experienced. And we were uh, making the distinction in week one just between what happiness is and joy. And happiness is much more temporary and in the moment, but joy is more deep and sustaining and more of a part of our life. It's like a permanent state of mind. So how can we have that kind of joy even in the midst of hard times? Even in the tough times? 
Even when we have circumstances that we are facing down that aren't any fun. How do we move past the pain of our past and enter into a life of joy? And I think that the very first step is that we make a decision that we're going to create a new reality for ourselves. We're going to create a new reality for our future that is actually born out of our past. Where we take everything that we've been through and we embrace it. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. It's part of who made us, part of what has made us to what we are today. And we don't run from it. But we learn from it. Creating a new reality is a commitment to learn from our past and to now move forward differently. We gain a new perspective where instead of staying stuck and staying bitter about our past and holding on to that resentment, our past now drives change for our future. And we become stronger in the broken places of our lives. And we rise above all the stuff that tries to hold us back from becoming the people that God wants us to be. And we leave all that in the rearview mirror. Well, Paul goes on, he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then, then you will shine. You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I think one of the common failures of Christians who have lost sight of the wonder of God's grace is the tendency to complain. Complaining and negativity is an expression of being ungrateful. People who are unhappy with their own lives tend to judge other people's lives and get all up into other people's business because they want to divert attention from their own unhappiness, and so they complain about other people. And there is this kind of general negativity that just comes out of them. Paul says, stop. Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Stop holding on to resentment. There's no time for all this petty stuff. Life's too short for that. Instead, keep focused on working it out. Working out the grace of God that is the basis of your salvation into every single aspect of your life. When we fully give ourselves to following Jesus, the grace of God begins to just ooze out of every part of our lives as we're slowly becoming the people God created us to be. We stop being a negative force in people's <laughs> lives, and instead we become a positive one. And when we do that, we will stand out because we live in such a negative world. I would suggest that the biggest difference between people who have God working in them and people who don't is the amount of complaining and negativity that comes out of them. People that have God's presence and power in their lives 
people who really get what God has done for them, where he's brought them from, where he is bringing them to, are fundamentally people with a greater sense of joy. One of the most joy-filled people that I know who has come through so much is a fellow Westridger named Sandra Hostin. And about a month or so ago, she invited me to her graduation where she was speaking. And I had imagined that she was speaking to her class, and I was guessing there would be like 15 or 20 people there. And so I thought I'd go and support her. And little did I know, as I stepped in the room, there were like more than 1,000 people there. And she got up and spoke and just blew everyone away. It was amazing. And after sitting there and hearing her story, I knew that I wanted her to come and share with her Westridge family. So Sandra, you want to come up and, and share a little bit your story? Thank you, Jeremy. Well, here I go again. Uh, my name is Sandra Halston, and I became a member of Westridge in April 2011. Now, I've always heard a lot of good things about Westridge, and I figured that after all God has done for me, it's time for me to develop a personal relationship with him because he has brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. Now, I always knew of God, but as a teenager, I turned my back on him. I decided to take back my will and do things the way I wanted to do, and that's when my struggles began. I am a recovering heroin addict, I I was homeless. I am a survivor of domestic violence and child abuse. Now, there were times in my life when I didn't know that there was help out there for me. And when I did find out about the agencies that would help me, I was too afraid to ask for the help because of what you might say or think about me. And so for years, I held on to a lot of guilt, shame, and anger. And it wasn't until my life had become completely unmanageable and the pain had gotten so unbearable that I had to reach out for help. And the first thing that I did was in August of 2004, I checked myself into a 28-day treatment program in Chicago. And after I completed that program, I asked the counselors there to refer me to a second treatment program. Why? Because I was a heroin addict for over 25 years. I knew 28 days was not going to keep me clean and sober. So the counselors there, they spoke with my mom, and they referred me to Lutheran Social Services here in Elgin. Now, while I was in treatment at Lutheran Social Services, a social worker from the Community Crisis Center came in to speak to the women that were in treatment there. She told us about their shelter and all the services that they have to offer to homeless women victims of domestic violence, or women that just need help supporting their families. And I knew that that's where I needed to go. So after I completed my second treatment program, I immediately moved into the community crisis center. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was making some right decisions. The counselors there, they were very professional and they were well-educated and they empowered me to take control of my own life. Now, since then, I have been determined to improve my life and my education. So in 2010, I decided to go back to school. 
because of all the fears I had and because of my age, school was a struggle for me. So that same God that I had turned my back on so many years ago, I found myself asking him again to help me. And so I started talking to some of my friends about joining the church, and a good friend of mine invited me here to West Ridge. Now, I wasn't planning on joining this church. <laughs> I was just planning on passing through. But when I walked through the doors of West Ridge, I was greeted with a handshake and a smile. When I walked into this room right here, I felt peace. And when the services started, I remember the band playing this song, Deliver Me. I love that song. <laughs> Deliver Me. And um, I got this strange feeling over me. I felt like the prodigal son, and I started to cry. I had finally found the church that I can belong to, and I have been attending West Ridge ever since. So uh, about a year later, I decided to step out of my comfort zone and volunteer as a greeter here at West Ridge. And in the process of me being a greeter here, I was able to overcome my uh, struggles at ECC. So uh, while I was attending ECC, I managed to accomplish some things that I never thought possible, like making the dean's list, being a member of Phi Theta Kappa, being a treasurer for the Human Service Club. I am now a certified first responder. I have volunteered my time with senior services and PADS. And just this past summer, I just completed my last internship at the very same treatment center that I came out of nine years ago. So I am so grateful to God for his mercy and his grace. And like I said earlier, I'm grateful to West Ridge for inviting me here, making me feel at home, and helping me to develop that closer relationship with my higher power. Thank you, West Ridge. You know, I have to tell you that the funny thing about, um, I, I remember vividly that the day that I went to go hear her speak, I was in such a bad mood. <laughs> I was doing everything that I told you not to do in this message. I had like been traveling all week in business and had series of bad meetings and deals blowing up, and I, I, I remember feeling sorry for myself, and even my wife, who's very tolerant of me, she was even sick of my whining, so I knew it was bad. <laughs> but I went in, and I heard Sandra speak, and it was amazing, because it's just like that, it just like snapped me out of it, because when you hear that story, and I know it was pretty quick, but the depth of what she's been through, and then to go back in and to serve in the very places that helped her is just incredible. So thank you. We're really blessed. And she made, you know, look, she more than anybody that I know probably could stay bitter and resentful for the hand that she's been dealt in life. And she chose that she wasn't going to stay bitter. She was going to get better, and she moved out of it. She moved past it and became this beautiful, shining light. So thanks, yeah. Uh, and I really do think that 
if we're going to talk about what is the critical ingredient to creating this kind of new reality, to having this life of sustainable joy, I think that it is this, that we need to become people of gratitude, right? I mean, that we shift, man, and we change our perspective about the way we see stuff, and we stop kind of being in that victim position, and we start living life, and we start embracing life in the way that God designed us to live it and our hearts to be overflowing with thanksgiving for this God who was willing to pull us out of the junk of our past and to put us into this new place and to understand where we're headed and to not do things with a sense of complaining or grumbling, but with a sense of joy. That when we become people of gratitude, man, we shine. You know, people are looking for authentic Christianity in this world. And while more and more people are just fed up with the church and organized religion, there is more and more a greater sense of a spiritual hunger than I think I've ever seen before. And people aren't looking for man-made rituals or traditions or... They're looking for God. And they aren't looking for Christians who come up, come off like we're perfect or who have all the answers. They're looking for people who are different, people who are authentic, people like Sandra who have been through so much, and it's okay. She embraces that. She understands that that past made her into who she is today, and from the ashes of her past, God has created this beautiful thing, and he can do the same thing in all of us. People are looking for people whose lives have been changed by God and they shine like stars in the midst of a dark world. Look, light comes from the inside out. And we can put on a good front from time to time, but if the joy of God is not in us, people will see right through us. And whatever light it is that we think we were shining will eventually fade away. Our mission as a church is that we are to be a light in a very dark, dark world. That Westridge is a place that will always ooze out the grace of God in everything that we do. And that this church will be a church of second chances and third and fourth, a place where people who are lost and people who are hurting and people who are just looking for Jesus that they can find that right here and experience and experience a little piece of heaven in the midst of hell. That we can be that light together. And all you have to do is just shine. You know, I don't I don't think going to the cross necessarily brought Jesus happiness. I don't think he was happy about having to take a beating and have nails driven into his hands and to his feet. And I don't read anything about him saying and complaining and saying, you want me to die for these people? 
Seriously? But for the joy set before him, for this deep sense of joy that he had in his love for us, in his desire for us to have that second chance, for us to have hope, he went to the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so that we could one day stand before God perfect, sinless. We have communion every week here at Westridge because we think that the cross, what Jesus did, is so central to our faith that we want to celebrate that and remember that in reverence every week. And so in just a moment, there's going to be a tray of bread that we passed. That bread is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, there's a cup of juice that we passed. If you take one of the cups of juice and drink it, put the empty cup back in the tray, pass it down to the next person. But as you do, the Bible asks us that we take this seriously. That in reverence, we take that cup of juice and we remember the blood that was spilled there on that cross. That gives us hope. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful for everything you've done for us, the way you love us, the gift of your son. There's words can't express it. But I pray that you help us just to be people that ooze your grace, your love, that we can bring peace and joy and love to the people around us. Father, we thank you again for the gift of your son, Jesus in whose name we are gathered here today.